This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome into the Lions 24-7 podcast where we are adjusting to an evolving reality in Happy Valley and it is one that does indeed involve a 2020 fall college football season as we discussed at length on our earlier edition of the podcast this week. Sean, uh, we've avoided any pitfalls between then and now. It's only been about 48 hours or so. We're still on track, still feeling great about the fact that we have at least nine Penn State football games uh, to cover uh, in the upcoming months. Yeah, I mean, it, it's only been two days, but like we're we're um, bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, ready to talk football. It's great. Uh, there's, uh, I mean, we've had Franklin, we've had Sandy twice. We Pat Fryermuth even got in for a little bit of availability. So we've actually had something to talk about. We've actually had people talking to us, providing us quotes and and giving us everything we needed to know, and even some of the stuff we don't. So we're we're happy to be back here talking on a Friday morning. And you know what? It's uh, it, it's a little bit brighter out right now. I, I gotta say. It's a little brighter. It's a little colder, too. The temperature plummeted a bit overnight, and we're looking at 30s in the weekend. Let's go. Fall se- fall football season right around the corner. We're embracing it here in the Lions 24-7 podcast. He is Sean Fitz. I'm Tyler Donahue. They are Sandy Barber and James Franklin, and they joined us on a phone call on Thursday afternoon. First time we've heard from James Franklin or Sandy Barber in a media session. Um, obviously, we've we've heard from Franklin on ESPN Radio, a couple different appearances from him, but it's the first time we've had those guys uh, for a Q&A, and that took place about a month or so after we last had them within a week of the Big Ten decision. So, very much a different tone to the phone call. Getting some logistics out of the way first that, that mainly came from Sandy Barber here. Hammering down the point that there will be no fans in Beaver Stadium uh, getting underway with the season. Uh, there will be no tailgating permitted on university property and something that she was pretty adamant about as well. And also uh, new COVID cases here at Penn State. 50 more cases on a- almost 900 new tests coming from last week's um, uh, tests across the student-athlete spectrum. Um, that's the second consecutive week where, where that number is higher than it had been the past uh, over the past two weeks. 98 total uh, cases reported by Penn State. Uh, Franklin made a, a point saying that players will need to police each other because uh, the accountability as cases grow here within the community at State College, within the population of student-athletes at Penn State, and some other programs have been specifically hit really hard by this, not so, so much football to this point, uh, but Franklin saying that accountability and kind of, you know, being able to tap your teammate on the shoulder, maybe serve some reminders on a daily basis, like some of us need in general in in navigating our course through the pandemic, uh, that is going to be really prioritized now as they are just uh, five weeks away from kicking things off. And and a lot of that, I mean, the football program, as we said last episode, hasn't been one of the programs that's been hit hard, but it's the contact tracing. It's everything that goes back to, you know, what's going to take people out. And it may not be positive tests, but it may be something where you were around someone else. And then all of a sudden it just kind of grows from there. So that's, I think that's the thing to worry about. Um, but you've got this sort of bubble that you're trying to put your team in and, and you, you have to hold these players accountable. The, these players have to make sure their teammates are held accountable. And I think that's one thing that, that they were doing really well in August. And I think that that is something that they can get back into the habit of. Didn't like that six week break off because as you mentioned, those numbers at on campus at, at university park, are, are very high right now and you got to keep those guys away from the general population. I mean, we're way past uh, determining, you know, can you have football without students or can you have, you know, is there a double standard? Absolutely. There's a double standard. But when you talk about what's involved with the money and all that kind of stuff, you, you kind of got to throw that away. So you, on one hand, you, you take what you can get if you're the athletic department, no fans, no tailgating, everything like that. But to, to have a season to salvage this, uh, that's that's what you got to do. 
the boundaries that we kind of set in our mind for how this thing would shape up and how college athletics might approach football season and this general student uh, situation, maybe what we thought of that in spring, it looks a lot different here in mid-September. And we're now uh, three and a half months removed from when Penn State football players began their phased return to campus in early June. To this point, James Franklin, um, you know, really crediting uh, the work of his staff and, and, and the whole support staff involved there, the medical team, but specifically really giving his players a pat on the back for the way they have approached their day-to-day responsibilities and the way they've adjusted to this new reality. They're going to need to keep that up because as Franklin said and as Sandy Barber said, the the Big Ten has adopted pretty stringent protocols in terms of players, what happens when they test positive, how long they're going to have to sit for. You're looking at a, a, a 21-day period. Um, and, and if you're hit seriously with the roster numbers, like Franklin says, you're not going to have a shot to go chase a Big Ten championship. So it, it's a lot more than getting, getting the job done from an X's and standpoint from an execution standpoint for those 60 minutes on a game day it is a day-to-day deal to make sure that you are available to get out there on these Saturdays and, and maybe Friday and Monday nights as we now know from the Big Ten as they work through their schedule no schedule yet Sean uh not much insight there from Sandy Barber and James Franklin a uh, little more clarity needed it, it sounds like uh, on a couple things um one is week nine uh that championship week format that we talked about last episode where it's going to be a big Ten title game uh number one in the west number one in the east they'll meet that's normal um but we're gonna see number two versus number two number three versus number three and so on down the division line not sure where those games are going to take place the first eight games which will be released uh, hopefully soon I'm not sure if we'll get them by the by this weekend uh, but they're going to be on home campuses so we're anticipating four in Beaver Stadium and then four on the road for the Nittany Lions uh, one other thing that that was kind of stood out to me at least is Sandy Barber isn't clear on potential tiebreakers um, I guess that would that would not matter that would matter not only for the Big Ten title game but also for all the rest of those games championship week and squaring away where teams are in the standings because as she pointed out you look across college football whether it's the ACC or group of five teams so far uh, some Big 12 uh, there have been postponements here early in the season and because the way that the schedule is going to be laid out for Penn State and the rest of the Big Ten nine games nine weeks you can't be shuffling games around. There's not a bye week that the slot games in later in the season. So if you're looking at a situation where a team gets to the end and they've played eight games and another team has played seven, how are you going to determine where they uh, equate in the rankings and, and, and you know head-to-head matchups and all that considered? Uh, she says that they're still trying to figure that out, hammer down those details. Look, the Big Ten, uh, we're not expecting a, a, a speedy, uh, a speedy approach here because of, of what we've seen in the past six weeks and really the past few months. But I, I think we should, I would imagine, have a full schedule out early next week. I think the longer you prolong this, the, the more difficult it's going to make for coaches. But what we're really looking at, aside from the, the travel logistics that need to be sorted out by each of these universities, um, is certainly the crossover matchup, Sean. And that's something I, I put on the message board on Lions 24-7, uh, the Lions Pride message board yesterday. And it said, you could pick two crossover games from the West for Penn State. Which would you pick? And it was pretty much split down the middle. It's either aiming high, bring on Wisconsin, uh, bring on Minnesota, get, try to get some revenge against the Gophers, or play Iowa, the team they, they seem to play every year, a team that's going to be in the top 25. Or the response was, give us the weakest that the West has to offer, because just trying to get to 8 0 get to that Big Ten title game, and maybe punch a ticket to the playoff. Well, they're going to get something in the middle because it's uh, you know strong indications right now, and I know the schedule's not out, that they're going to get Iowa at home, and they're going to get Nebraska on the road, two, two games that were originally on the schedule. So essentially, you axe Northwestern, which was the season opener, and uh, Northwestern Illinois. was at home, and Illinois, which was on the road. So uh, you know it, it, it makes sense. I mean, you're, you're up and down. By the way, it's really funny to me. We're talking, or in I guess in the before time, you're talking about scheduling for like 2035 and how all these things need to be done so well in advance. And now all of a sudden <laughs> that we've we've had three schedules in the span of a couple of months. That's really funny to me. Um, I don't I don't I don't know what the logistics are behind it. And I know, you know, like to get those things out of the way. But if you say you can't get it done, it, you kind of look like a fool right now because they're getting it done. They're taking what they can get and they're going with it. Yeah, uh, and I, you know, I'm looking at the Penn State future schedule. You, you drew me there, and we can already, uh, you know, chalk up a 2027 matchup against Temple. I know everyone's amped up for that game, but you're right. They're 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 powering through this process. Maybe that's not the right the, the right term to apply to the, the Big Ten's approach here, but. 
they're going to get to some kind of eight game slate for each of these teams. And then, you know, we're going to kick the ball off eventually. One thing we do know now, Penn State getting more time together as a team. One thing that, that Franklin really pointed out before we get to the football stuff, Sean, is he's, his main concern here, aside from health and safety, is team chemistry. Normally, they'd be, you know, actively socially engaged beyond team facilities. They'd see each other a lot more at team facilities. James Franklin, uh, as a point of reference, said he would have had a bunch of players over for different dinners by now. They would have been playing games uh, together. They would have been just, you know, laid back, getting away from from the, the football terminology, getting away from the academic stuff. He says it can't be football, 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 school, 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 24-7 for these guys. And, and that's kind of when, when you take away the social settings. And he says, you know, he checks in with the medical staff. What can I do if I want to have guys over? There's all these different kind of uh, parameters now. You'd have to have boxed meals and, and prepackaged stuff. And he says, that doesn't sound like much fun. Doesn't sound like a way to lay back. It sounds like more stress. And, and that's going to be something that all programs, I think, are dealing with is uh, when you bring in all these new freshmen and you've got new faces and, and, and not everybody knows each other. They still kind of need to break the ice. And you've been having these split practices where it's not the full team on the field together. You know, the trust and the chemistry that's going to exist on Saturdays is, is tremendously important for any program. Oh, no doubt. And and I think that they've had a strong culture and they've been able to work through this. But a lot of these Big Ten schools, especially not the ones that had that continuity where you could keep practicing or keep working out or get into sort of a normal flow, um, especially with like the the ACC teams that are playing now or the even the SEC teams that will open, I think, next weekend. I mean, you've got something that's just keeping you together and keeping it going. And that's what I was kind of saying earlier about you know reestablishing that bubble and keeping these guys all together and that's why you know I know we said last uh, last episode we weren't going to rag on the Big 10 all that much but that's why taking that away from them was such a big deal to to a lot of these coaches and I think that's that's something that needs to be established reestablishing and gone back over and I mean it's uh, it's in the past now but uh, it's really a, me- a misstep from from that aspect of it by the way I'm looking at uh, Virginia Tech's uh, out of conference schedule they've got a 2037 matchup at Ole Miss oh. already locked locked in um, because because they're locked I mean they've got four games in their out of conference schedule through 2030 and of course Penn State uh, will host them in 2025 so rescheduling that game that was supposed to be earlier this month uh, may not be as easy as expected I mean of course you can write off you know you can find one of those out of conference games and buy your way out of it or whatever but uh, it's not easy to do and I, I again I don't know why we do it but in case you're looking for an update on the Virginia Tech uh, game that was canceled, I was looking forward to a trip to Blacksburg. I'm sure you were as well. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, there's there's it's it's gonna be a lot tougher than it looks. And uh, excuse me, speaking 20, of 2037, you say? Yeah, 2037 at Ole Miss. Got to start scouting all the daycares now for to to learn who the Hokies' starting quarterback is going to be. Then yeah, well, I mean it's uh, it's going to be quite uh, that's a long time from now. <laughs> I mean that's. <laughs> Uh, anyway, um, but uh, no, speaking of Virginia Tech, by the way, uh, 24-7 Sports 30 Under 30 came out this week. Virginia Tech cornerbacks coach Ryan Smith was on there. He's a former Penn State GA. He's a guy, of course, that you know we've been watching for a long time. Anytime something comes up, these these old GAs pop up onto the list. Adam Brenneman's on that list as well. He's a GA at Arizona State. So check that out. Uh, some risers in there. We and you know Penn State has had guys in there before, whether it's current coaches or former coaches. Tyler Bowen was in there a couple of years ago before he turned thirty. Uh, Billy Fessler was in there. He's been uh, bumping around. I think he's at Ohio State right now as a as an analyst or something. Of that nature. So check that out on 24-7 Sports. That's my plug to uh, to get out of the Virginia Tech hole that I dug myself. <laughs> I think some guy named Joe Brady was on that list not too long ago. And uh, whatever happened to him? Yeah, all he did was help orchestrate the most explosive offensive attack we've seen. Joe Burrow won a Heisman, number one pick. By the way, through 60 passes on Thursday night. Now Joe Brady's uh, working under Mount Rule with the Carolina Panthers. Ascending stars, Adam Brenneman on that list, as you said. And it's always worth noting because these guys, they'll leave Happy Valley, whether they're players or whether they were GAs or assistant coaches. You never know when, when the opportunity to circle back. James Franklin keeps a long list of names when jobs open up, and, and it always helps. If you've already done good work for him in State College, you go out, you build your resume, 
it could be time to come back to State College eventually. Um, you never know in that situation. Um, getting that's a, Yeah, it's a great addition to any young coach's resume. I mean, I know yeah. it sounds kind of funny coming from, you know, just another media publication, but the, you, you better believe that's going to be on there already. So that's, uh, that's a really cool thing for some some good young coaches. And there's some great stories in there. Barton was talking about the Houston Baptist offensive coordinator who was, you know, they went out and they gave Texas Tech a scare last weekend because he's apparently the next big thing in the air raid. So some cool things. If you follow that thing, if you, if you follow coaching circles or, or rising stars or anything like that, it's definitely worth your time. Getting back to Penn State's current situation and their lead up to uh, full practice, we now know, according to Franklin and, and Sandy Barber, they were they weren't quite clear on this, but I think by the end of the call they were first day in full pads, September thirtieth. This will be their first time in full pads since 2019. So there is some catching up to do. I, I'd imagine there is some cleaning up to do in terms of techniques and fundamentals, but it doesn't seem like Franklin has any concern regarding the time frame. He had spoken back in the spring, you know, when the, when the question was proposed, how much time do you realistically need with your team to get ready for a season? They've been on campus. They've been practicing, albeit kind of in a waiting pattern for the last month or so, uh, but, but they have a nice tune-up here. They're going to get two and a half weeks of, of full pad practice, you know, kind of the preseason camp, whatever that's going to look like here in 2020, uh, before they actually get to a game week. So plenty of time it would seem for Penn State to prepare in a safe and efficient manner. And they're already up to 20 hours a week, Sean. We knew this was a, a really a sticking point for Franklin, even if they weren't going to be able to play fall football. He wanted to, to get up from 12 hours, didn't feel like that was enough time from his team with his team. Uh, Franklin now saying they're going to be able to use those extra hours to, to, to get on the field for weekends, put in more work, and trying to get back in that routine where they have Mondays off. And, and I think that's this is the best thing for Franklin and any coach to be able to get back into that a scheduling pattern where players know exactly what to expect, essentially hour by hour, whether it's a Tuesday or a Monday or a Saturday or a Sunday, and Penn State's able to kind of find their groove again. Not so much a Monday. They've got their Mondays off, so hopefully they can spend their time doing what they need to, catching up on the studies and such. Uh, but no, you're right. It's it's normalcy. And I think that, you know, the thing that Franklin was so ticked about was the the lack of an even playing field or level playing field across college football. And that's really, you're sort of getting that back right now. And you're getting a chance to, to work with your guys a little bit more, uh, practice on the weekends. I mean, they've been pretty much going Monday through Friday just to cut out those hours that they didn't have. So, um, you know, they, they were pushing for, even if you didn't have football, pushing for more hours, but that all of a sudden that's irrelevant. They're going to go back into pads on September 30th, as you said. Um, you know, it seems a little late, but uh, you've, you you deal with what you have in front of you and you get yourself, you know, adjusted to, I guess, it takes some some gearing up. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine those guys right now because, and, and Shaka Tony had a tweet about it the other day about the mental health and going through everything with these rumors and getting your hopes up and then getting dashed and all that kind of stuff. So you're going to have to find your way to get prepared to get back into uh, get back into a helmet, get back into pads and, and get yourself where you need to be um, to essentially be optimal because obviously it's a dangerous game and you know they're, they're wearing those pads for a reason. So you want to, you want everybody to be all in, you want everybody to get there. Um, Franklin kind of alluded to that earlier this week when he talked about some of the guys, you know, outside of the Micah Parsons stuff that we'll get to here in a second, but outside of those guys, so you're not sure, you know, a Shaka Tony, a Jason Away, Pat Fryermuth, of course, said he's coming back, Journey Brown, some of those other guys, um, you, you're not sure when you're going to get a final decision. And then even as we've seen in across college football, even some of those guys that have played you know, may at some point change their minds. And that's, uh, and that's obviously their prerogative, but it's obviously something that they're going to have to be prepared for and have to deal with. So that'll be an interesting component for them moving forward as they sort of approach the season, get into practice, and then get eventually get into those games. A couple more takeaways from Franklin based on some things you just said. Uh, you know, he said he wishes it would be, okay, who's in? Okay, you're in. Let's go. He doesn't think it's going to be that clean. He thinks that that's probably uh, looking at, at, at things from, uh, from a, from a rosy eyed perspective because, it, you know, you don't know. It could be the game week and someone says, you know what? I'm not feeling it. I'm going to opt out and get ready for the NFL drafters. Or who knows? Someone could come to, you know, you never know what could happen. Something could happen uh, health related. Something could just happen. And, and financially, they feel like it makes sense for them to take a step away from the program. It, it's it's a whole new thing to navigate for, for college football coaches. And James Franklin is included on that so far. As we said, if you're only without Micah Parsons, I promise we'll talk about Parsons in a second. Uh, then that's a pretty good place to be, I think, in the grand scheme of things. The other thing you mentioned, uh, Shaka Tony's comment on the mental health. And, and and you know waiting on all these reports and seeing uh, the 
ebbs and flows of whether the Big Ten would come back and when that would be. And Franklin actually took some responsibility for, for kind of his, his team's frame of mind. He said he has a tendency to over-communicate with his players, with his assistant coaches, with players' parents. He wanted to keep them as informed as possible uh, earlier in the process, and he just felt like ultimately he took them on a roller coaster ride. It's a phrase that we have used, the roller coaster, to describe Big Ten, and that's the phrase that Franklin used uh, on the call on Thursday. And he says eventually he started being more guarded about what he shared with players he, and the parents, and he wasn't relaying everything, and he was trying to keep more of a tight lid, and then that resulted in some pushback from the parents and players who said, well, what, what's going going on? What are the answers? And, and so it was a tightrope walk for him. It sounded like, you know, at the end of the day, they are playing football in 2020. Uh, but he said, you know, it, it, some lessons learned for him as, as a leader and from a communication standpoint. And, and uh, you know, the one thing that, that he learned about his team uh, even more so is, and Sandy Barber said this as well, a lot of passion among those players and a lot of passion among those parents. Yeah, I mean, and it, there's no there's no handbook or playbook of how to handle this, and uh, you know, you sort of are get put between that rock and a hard place where you've got to to answer to one side and not get the answers from the other side, and it's it, it's tough. And I think you know, for I guess we're going to talk about Micah here in a second, but you know, for, for the ability to keep all the guys that they've been able to keep and keep them from looking around, and you know, I'm not sure that there's greener pastures that are you know guaranteed to play or anything like that, and that's going back a couple of weeks. But I mean, you, you you've done a phenomenal job of of sort of traversing these waters. I think you see the the reaction from the players, the reaction from the mm. the parents, and and I get why he you know may have held back or whatnot, but at, at the same time, you know, it's it's overwhelmingly positive. And that's a that's a good thing to 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 get out there to show that to uh, you know to potential recruits to fans and everything like that. I think handling the situation probably close to as well as he probably could have. Yeah, we saw a bunch of players: Journey Brown, Noah Kane, Will Fries, are just a few of the tweets I saw that that really went to to back up Franklin, to thank Franklin for for quote fighting for them during this process in a public forum on Twitter. That resonates with the fan base. That resonates with the locker room, and, and as you said, that resonates on the recruiting trail because players and parents uh, want to know who they can trust and, and who they can turn their sons over to for for a matter of years. Ready to do this thing? Ready to jump on uh, Micah Parsons' topic? Because it's go time, Sean. Um, I was getting getting really, um, a, 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 not concerned, but I was getting anxious when we got on the call. I was just wondering, like, where was where was Franklin going to take the conversation? And I fully expected him to maybe slam that door shut when Micah Parsons was brought up. And I believe it was Bob Flounders who, who broached the subject uh, first on the phone call um, on on Thursday. And Franklin did not do any slamming of the door. In fact, he said, we're keeping the door open on Micah Parsons opting back in. He said that. Uh, he followed it up with some some other <laughs> stuff that I don't know if, if people caught that, but Micah Parsons opted out before the season was canceled in the first place. I mean, so that that tells me a little bit there and that, you know, Franklin sort of alluded to that. It's going to be a lot harder to bring a guy like that back, especially when you see that, you know, he was in Harrisburg working out most of the summer. He wasn't with the team most of the summer. So, and I... You want Micah Parsons back, obviously. You want your All American. You want any All American back. You see Ohio State's getting their studs back, uh, and it, you know, you kind of want to be that guy. You know, you want to be in that same situation. I have a hard time seeing it happening. Um, so there, aside from the red tape, I mean, you look at the the actions before, you know, getting getting, uh, you know, before eventually opting out in early August, even when there was a season on the, you know, a schedule and a season on the on the board. You know, he stepped away and. I don't know that Micah has anything to gain from coming back. I mean, you aside from love of the game and everybody wants to think that everybody plays for the love of the game and everything, he's got a lot of uh, a lot of green in front of him, so to speak. So coming back uh, isn't going to hurt his status from that unless he would, you know, unfortunately get injured or something like that. But I don't know that it's going to help and change all that much uh, for a top five to seven draft pick overall. Now, Micah opted out. Um, on on August 4th. And, and by then we knew the Big Ten was shifting to a conference only schedule, but they had not yet released that schedule. So to that point, we didn't know when Penn State was going to play, if it was going to be a late start, who they were going to play and in what order. The ne very next day after Micah opted out uh, and, and that news surfaced, the Big Ten put out 10 game schedule over a 12 week period conference only. 
And I think five, six days later, the Big Ten said, oh, never mind, we're not playing football in 2020. And then six weeks later, they said, okay, we're going to play football in 2020. And now here's Micah Parsons, six weeks removed from opting out. Um, Lord knows what he's been up to the last six weeks. I'm sure a lot of physical training, but you know, financially, what has he gotten involved in? This is a guy who has an opportunity to capitalize on his star power on his earning potential as an athlete as an ambassador of the football of the of the game of football there's a lot of possibilities there's a lot of opportunities he may have already taken it upon himself to, to pursue in the last month and a half um, from what we understand what we saw on social media back in August he has signed with an agent um, that was not the case for the couple guys uh, Wyatt Davis and and Sean Wade at Ohio State two projected first round picks two preseason All-Americans like Micah Parsons and I know that's a tough pill to swallow uh, for Penn State fans to see Justin Fields hanging in there with the Buckeyes and them getting those two top talented players and now seeing uh, wondering if Micah Parsons has, has has wandered too far away and it's been too long to get him back on board. I think Folks are now wondering where the NCAA stands. You're seeing them grant eligibility waivers left and right right now. This would be a different ballgame. If we're talking about a player who has signed with an agent, that's more uncharted territory. I want to see if the NCAA is willing to, to cross that line because if they're willing to do that, there's going to be a lot of ramifications with that. Um, and and I don't know where it goes from there for them. I'm not necessarily concerned about what the NCAA wants to do. I'm concerned about what Penn State, what Micah Parsons are thinking. And all I know, Sean, is I was getting flashbacks to fall of 2017 uh, throughout the day. Uh, after Franklin said those comments, uh, Micah put out a tweet about facing so many difficult decisions at a young age and, and, and how overwhelming that is. Uh, Tom Van Herren, uh, ESPN reporter, put out that he had heard Franklin is considering uh, returning to Penn State. And again, Parsons. Yeah. I'm sorry. Who did I say? You uh, said Franklin. I hope okay. he returns to Franklin, Penn State. Franklin if he is we got at a Penn problem. State. Yeah. Yeah. That, that Parsons is considering returning to Penn State. And then Franklin himself, you know, kind of with a grin on his face and, and just, you know, leaving that conversation wide open. We in the media world really appreciated that because we all got to write stories about it. Uh, but again, I was, uh, you know, it was a, I think, you know, Franklin could have slammed that shut and said, we wish Micah well. I already released a statement on that six weeks ago. Uh, he's, he's moving toward the NFL. He's going to be a star. We can't wait to see him play on Sundays. That was not the tone, Sean. That was not the tone. I'm not sure you guys were on the call. I, I listened back to it later and wrote that story that needed to be written. Um, but no, I, I don't know that that was the tone. Um, but uh, I just... I, why would why would you shut the door? I mean, why would you do that? Like you've you've got an opportunity. Right. I mean, you've got an opportunity to sort of you know you, you can pub your program and all that kind of stuff and and get that out there. Uh, you've got Ohio State guys coming back, and maybe you, you just kind of poke and prod and say, hey, these guys are doing it. And, and that's the that's the interesting thing to me is playing these games from October to December doesn't change that timeline all that much. I mean, you and we're not sure what's happening with bowl games right now. Some, I mean, they're still planning on being played, but I'm not sure how that's going to, you know, all go into it and what bowl games are maybe not going to make it through the pandemic. And, and all that kind of, it's, that's a conversation for another day, but it really doesn't change your schedule all that much because you can still spend the spring, excuse me, you can still spend the spring training, getting ready for the combine and all that kind of stuff. So getting that football in now, you know, doesn't really change much for guys that were, you know, looking to take that route. So it just gives them a chance to get some more film, gives them a chance to get some more experience. And, you know, for guys like Jason Oway and Journey Brown, I think that's a, that's a great thing. But for those top guys, I mean, I, I understand that you want Parsons back. I understand that you want to chase a championship and maybe he is that piece that you need for that championship. And that's, you know, that's pretty cut and dry. Um, but uh, it's it's so tough for me to see him pulling a 180, especially given the the actions in August and, and actually leading up to August. Well, James Franklin has been recruiting or motivating Micah Parsons in one way or the other uh, since November of 2014. So, you know, why stop now? And, and as I said, I was kind of transported back to us, you and my, you and me both at, at Harrisburg High School Auditorium for the All-American Jersey Ceremony back in September, October of 2017, when Ohio State and Alabama and Georgia and Nebraska were still involved. And uh, will he or won't he, you know, uh, return to the Penn State recruiting class? And, you know, that's it's not recruiting anymore. If there's two hats on the table, it's one with the Penn State logo, one with an NFL logo, but there are a lot of complications involved here. We will stay, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll keep our finger on the pulse here. We'll see how things materialize. Um, we'll write about what we need to write about, but um, Sean, you don't actually, I don't think you're giving everybody a, a jolt of optimism that maybe they flock to this podcast to get from you regarding number 11. 
I am the wet blanket. I, I embrace <laughs> that. Um, it's just very hard for me. No, I mean, James Franks has been recruiting Micah since, you know, eighth grade, ninth grade. So I've, first I've year known on Micah campus. since ninth grade. Yeah. And it would be very surprising to see this, this turnaround. Yeah. Well, uh, we did hear a lot more from Franklin, some strong words on the 2021 recruiting class, very candid and uh, pointed criticism in the direction of his own staff and, and what they have done and what they have not done three months shy of the early signing period for the 2021 recruiting cycle. Uh, we're going to talk about that in a moment. We'll talk about the NFL, uh, a little bit what's going on there regarding Penn State alumni and finish off with our five-star mailbag. Stay with us right here on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Okay, picture this, it's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We bring it back in and we recenter the focus from the upcoming football season to the upcoming early signing period in December. We now know by verdict of the uh, NCAA ruling that came out on uh, Thursday, or I'm sorry, Wednesday evening, um, no, no, no campus visits at all through the end of this year. That means no official visits, no unofficial visits, no time spent in team facilities before the early signing period. And this is kind of the worst case scenario that we had hoped wouldn't happen for the sake of student athletes out there at the high school level and their families. If they want to sign early, if they want to enroll early, Many of them are going to have to sign with teams and, and with, with schools that they have not set foot on campus and rely on what they have done virtually. Um, that's something that Franklin talked about. But first and foremost, when the recruiting subject was brought up by our very own Mark Brennan, Sean, Franklin did not hold back. Uh, as, about as candid as I've ever heard him talking about uh, internal recruiting operations, um, he said they are not getting it done. Uh, he said that they have fallen short of the standard that they have set as a program. Uh, this is a team under James Franklin's direction that has not finished outside of the top 25 in recruiting rankings, dating back to the 2014 class that he got on board late, kept a lot of O'Brien's guys on board. The last four cycles, they have finished in the top 15, 2018, 2019, kind of the banner years. 24-7 um, Sports assessed both, uh, both of those classes as top 10 talent halls nationally. Right now, with a small class, uh, they are at number 33 in the composite. That trails programs like Pitt and Maryland three spots ahead of Rutgers. I mentioned this in the story I wrote yesterday. They are at number 19 if you look at per commitment average, but nine days removed from missing out on Nolan Rucci to a, a team that could prevent you from winning the Big Ten someday, like losing Fleming to Ohio State last cycle. Franklin was not feeling good about where they are. No, and, and it's one thing for us to say it on this podcast, and we have been saying it for a while, but for him to come out and say that I think is is pretty eye-opening. Um not in the way that, you know, I, I expected him to leave it open and say, you know, we like the kids we got, but we, you know, we kind of come up short in some other places and he can't get too far into specifics or anything like that. But I mean, just to admit it, just to say, hey, this is not the the cycle that we signed up for. This is not the the class that we thought we'd be bringing in. And, you know, you knew it was going to be a small class, but still you've you've got a laundry list of guys that you've missed on legitimate targets. And it's, it's, it's refreshing to hear, you know, the admission of, you know, we're not living up to expectations here. Um, it doesn't change anything in, in the current class or anything like that, but you've got an opportunity to, uh, to sort of uh, get out ahead of it and say, this is, this is not the class that we wanted. Uh, it's, it's kind of uh, shades. You can, I think you can, you can twist it into a great to elite type speech, um, but it's not, uh, it wasn't quite as, uh, as harsh or anything like that. But I mean, it's, uh, it, they need to be better. They realize they need to be better. I think they've made some changes uh, for classes moving forward. And I think that that's something that they've adapted to. And really, that's the key when you're talking about recruiting moving forward is you need to learn what you did wrong, adapt to it, trying to, to fix all, fix some of that. Some of these cases uh, that we've, we've gone with, uh, as we've said before, really not much you can do about this situation with the coach turnover and no visits and all that kind of stuff. But some of the stuff may have been avoidable. And and I think that they realize that and they're trying to address that moving forward. And I think that's the big thing to take away from it. And also, again, a, a very important distinction made in your story, number 19 in average commit rating versus the number three, 33. Everybody's going to turn to the number 33 because that's what the team rankings are. You've got 13 commits. You've got a small class. They're not going to take very many more guys, um, but you, you got to keep that average in, in mind. 
We mentioned Liam Clifford, Sean's younger brother, wide receiver on the last episode, getting that bump up the four-star status. We've heard from uh, Landon Tangwall, who, who leads this group in terms of overall ranking number 80 overall in the top 247. He says, uh, you know, it really is killing them not to be able to get these guys on campus. He's been to campus a dozen times or so. He, he knows it front ways and back ways. Uh, and Franklin alluded to this as well. Um, you know, he did not, he, you know, he said, I could make excuses. I could point to reasons. He really didn't. The one thing that he brought up, um, he avoided a lot of any kind of excuses or trying to, 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 you know, to protect his staff. But he, he made the point that he feels like Penn State is kind of that campus on the postcard when you think of the idyllic college setting um, and the environment, whether you go to a volleyball game or a wrestling match in the winter, where you can take a recruit there from football and they're still going to feel the positive vibes of the community and, and the, the energy that is involved with Nittany Lions fandom and, and with that athletic community and what it means to the heart and soul of State College. Not something you can really get those vibes across on a virtual visit. Um, you know, some of these guys, whether it's a 2021, 2022, or even 2023 cycle, have taken it upon themselves to, to make a, a road trip with mom and dad, you know, walk around campus, uh, get a feel for it at least, and, and, and kind of have a, you know, I'm sure they have some directional advice, but they're not going to be able to, to follow coaches into team facilities like you normally would and have that intimate experience. So that impacts you at the same time. I, I, I'm writing that and then I'm saying, well, Oregon, you know, out in Eugene, Oregon, that's not an easy place to get to. They have the number three class in the country right now. And, and you can say, well, you've had four positional staff changes and John Scott got on board late, but that is not unique to the Nittany Lions in 2020. Plenty of teams had major staff tr- turnover. Some of them dealt with head coaching changes and they're still recruiting fairly well. Now, I, you know, Penn State, they are ahead of Maryland. They are ahead of Pitt in terms of per prospect ranking. But at the end of the day, you want to be a team that goes out and chases a Big Ten championship and ultimately a college football playoff spot on a perennial basis. And that is no doubt about it, the standard that James Franklin has set for his program. He says he wants a roster that is going to establish the most competitive environment in college football. Ohio State doesn't have lapse years. Clemson doesn't have lapse years. Alabama doesn't have lapse years. Right now, we're seeing that from Penn State. And and you're absolutely right there. I mean, you've got these schools that have been on the top of the mountain for so long for a reason. And and Penn State can't afford to slip up. And, you know, I think the 2020 class, solid. I think the 2021 class, they've got some guys. But at the same time, you, you can't string a couple of those classes together and expect to be at the top. I think you expect to be in New York six games. I think they've done a phenomenal job of, of getting the program where it, where it is right now. But you got to hit on some of those big guys. I mean, you look back to 2020, and I think the group they brought in, I think, is is really good. Uh, you guys like Theo Johnson and, and Parker Washington, Keandre Lambert, Curtis Jacobs, so far getting good reviews. But at that same time, you look down to Clemson, and you see Brian Bressey doing crazy things as a, as a true freshman. You see Julian Fleming, of course. That's going to be the name that everybody talks about getting away last cycle. And those are the things that you're missing. And, and you miss some of those guys in the 2021 class as well. Um, and those are the ones that add up. Those are, those are your Micah Parsons. Those are your game records that are going to you know get you to that level where you need to be with Ohio State, with Clemson, with, uh, with uh, Alabama as well, where you want to be perennial contenders. And you know, are you seeing uh, you know, three, three New Year's Six bowl games in four years is fantastic. Um, but you you still had that Citrus Bowl year that was obviously a down year, so you, you want to avoid those those lapses, and that's really going to catch up to you in the long run. So I think that's what he's trying to get ahead of. I think they're you know in a good spot, excuse me, in a good spot in 2022 with uh, with those guys, and I think numbers will help in that class. And I, I don't know if I mentioned it to, in my chat or if uh, if I talked about it last episode, but having those numbers on board sort of makes everybody a little bit more comfortable so that when visits eventually do come back around for that 2022 class, you're still in pretty good shape. And, and you know, it's sort of like a not a peer pressure thing, but, you know, you feel better when other guys are in the same situation. I think that's something that you saw early in 2021 with Dante Thornton, with Nick Elksness, guys that, you know, were just kind of standing there like Will Smith and the French, uh, the Fresh Prince, just kind of waiting, you know, looking around, seeing who else is in that situation. Now in the 2022 class, you've got guys in that same situation. I think that's going to help you out in the long term. The surprising thing for me, Franklin did not attempt to reach for a parachute here. He, he didn't try to point to it and say, hey, but by the way, we're doing a heck of a job in 2022. Is anyone paying attention to that? Are you writing about that? Are you talking about that? We're doing a really good job. Uh, he, he, he didn't sugarcoat things when it came to 2021. I don't know if this was meant to be a public message to his own staff, whether this was meant to be kind of a response to some of the things I'm sure he read or heard 
uh, right after the Nolan Rucci announcement. Um, but either way, he took ownership of it. Uh, he applied ownership uh, for the situation to those coaches who are working underneath him and working with him to recruit. Um, and one thing he did say before we turn the page away from recruiting, Sean, is it sounds like he expects Penn State is going to have to to face facts and face the reality of 2020 and ultimately sign. He he said players. I don't know if it'll be multiple guys, but sign somebody who has not been on campus and, and take that leap of faith. And he will not be alone in doing that as, as, as a head coach in college football here. Yeah, that's part of the situation, the hand that you were dealt. And, you know, there, there's not a ton of guys still out there on the board. I mean, there's quality still out there on the board. Of course, Derek Davis is a big target. And you got the defensive end. Davon Townley is a big target. Some other guys, Diego Pounds. Um, but, I mean, you've got, you know, that that number continues to shrink. And, you know, it's, as you get closer to signing day, your margin of error continues to shrink as well. So um, you're not going to take too many more guys. But at the same time, you want to fill it out with quality guys. I mean, I think they can. They could take guys. Uh, we've said this before. They could if they, they want to fill, fill their class, class. They can do it, and they can do it by ten thirty. We're recording at ten ten. They can do it by ten fifteen if they want to fill the class with anyone. Yeah, yeah and then we we're know that. Some, then we're going to have some angry podcast listeners <laughs> with the guys that they do get. And you know, sometimes those guys turn into gems. Sometimes they, oftentimes they don't. So uh, yeah, you could take guys uh, just to take guys, but that's not the approach they've taken. And you know, with the limited space available, you, you see running back on the block, you see uh, receiver still on the block, tight end. Um, and, and maybe some of those things come back around. Maybe you start playing and all of a sudden you, there's other schools that have prospects or that are committed that say, maybe this is not what I signed up for. Maybe a coach all of a sudden is on the hot seat, although I see a lot less movement in that aspect uh, in this off, this upcoming offseason. Uh, but no, there's, there's a lot that could still go into it. Um, I mean, the hopes, of course, not all that high considering the, the 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 consistent body blows that they've gotten, but you still have a chance to to salvage it. And and I think Franklin kind of acknowledged that as well. He says we're not done yet in twenty twenty yeah. or excuse me twenty twenty one, but here's where we stand. And I think I commend him for for taking responsibility for it. But it's it's not about the the recognition. It's not about the uh, you know saying that you're responsible for it. It's about being responsible for it. It's about taking it on and making those changes that you need to make. And the outlook has changed and the perception could change because you're going to get a chance to go out and play football with a new offensive coordinator before signing period. That was not going to happen. You were kind of going to be left with, here's what Kirk did at Minnesota. Here's what we're doing at Penn State. Uh, and trying to, 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 to reiterate it in that manner. Now you can actually say, here's what Sean did in his first year at quarterback under Kirk Shiraka, and here's what our wide receivers did, what a leap they made here in 2020. Wouldn't you like to be a part of that process? A lot of things you can point to when you get on the field and play well, uh, and Penn State will have an opportunity to do that, so we'll see how that shapes, shapes up for them. I wrote a pretty extensive story on this on Thursday. Uh, all the stuff that Franklin said is in there. Uh, some insight from Brian Doan, national recruiting analyst who, who covers the Penn State recruiting territory so well and then some some from Landon Tengwell as well the top rated member of that 2021 class uh, trying to provide a little more context and, and, and building off of the conversation that Sean and I just had and, and by the way uh, recruiting news will continue to come and, and, and surface as we move forward uh, all the VIP updates from Brian Doan, Steve Wilfrong, Alan True the whole the whole crew at 24-7 Sports and I just wanted to make sure I mentioned this before the end of the show uh, through Friday 60% off it's our back to football deal uh, at Lions 24 so only through Friday, wanted to get that out there, at least for our listeners, a good chance to jump on board for, for insider info as the season gets back underway with preseason camp and, of course, all the recruiting stuff that lies ahead between now and that December signing period and the February uh, signing day that awaits Sean, let's switch up, go to the NFL, where there was a bunch of news, uh, not all positive, uh, coming out of week one. And and, uh, across the board, we have to start here. Miles Sanders, KJ Hamler, two of the more exciting playmakers to come out of Penn State in recent years. Both were sidelined during week one. Uh, It looks like multiple reports confirming here on early Friday. Um, Miles Sanders is going to be a go for Sunday's matchup in Philadelphia against the Los Angeles Rams, a team that gave up 127 yards and two touchdowns to Zeke Elliott last week. Uh, Sanders especially expected to take on a, a expanded role. And by the way, last year uh, led all rookies in total yards, uh, set Philadelphia records for rookie scrimmage yards, for rookie rushing yards, and, and the Eagles have been around since 1933. So great introduction to the NFL for Miles Sanders. He'll look to build on that moving ahead and starting with week two. And then KJ Hamlin from reports coming out of Denver, Sean, full practice participant that would suggest his outlook looks good. Uh, he he was out for week one, a Monday night game. Would have been great to see KJ in, in the primetime Monday night spotlight to start his career. It would have been pretty fitting for his personality. That didn't happen, but 
hopefully we'll have a chance to see both these guys put in work uh, this upcoming Sunday. And I'm excited to watch another slate of NFL. I don't know. If I'm Miles Sanders and I saw that uh, offensive line last week, I think I might, uh, you know. Who did they play last week? They played the undefeated division leading Washington (laughs) football team. Thank you very much. And they're they're not very good. I know actually Washington and, and I, I joke about Washington all the time, um, but their their front four and their defensive line is actually really Nasty. pretty good. Yeah. Um, but I, I I don't think that they're as good as they showed with the eight sacks. But yeah, Miles Sanders is going to have an interesting uh, season debut running behind that offensive line running into Aaron Donald. So. That'll be interesting. I think KJ, uh, I don't know if you referenced it or not, kind of on a pitch count for week two. Mm-hmm. It'll be interesting to see what they need, uh, especially if Cortland, Cortland Sutton can't go um, because they obviously uh, they were lacking for that on Monday night. So, but yeah, I mean, you've got uh, you've got guys that have started out the season, maybe not optimally. You can add Yitor Gross Matos and Chris Godwin, both in concussion protocol. Uh, St- Stefan Wisniewski also hurt for the Steelers. Uh, I mean, it's uh, it's been an interesting it's start. A brutal for game. State. Yes, it <laughs> it's is a brutal um, game. And then you've got Tiki Barber uh, kind of slamming Saquon Barkley, and that's uh, that's that's an interesting play there for for Tiki. Tiki has had some interesting takes since he stepped away from the Giants right before they won a couple Super Bowls, and uh, you know that's his prerogative. Uh, I got to say, Saquon Barkley getting a lot of love for his response to the Tiki Barber comments, uh, basically saying it's going to be motivation. Yeah, respect for Tiki. Um, really, you know, not trying to dodge that at all. So, you know, you wouldn't expect anything less of Saquon. We had a chance to deal with him for for, for years at Penn State, and uh, you know, just a guy who handles himself very well in the spotlight. Uh, you want to talk about offensive lines that struggled, Sean? You mentioned the Eagles against Washington. Did you check out the Giants against the Steelers? Because Saquon, say what you will about his pass protection, he needs some run blocking. He had six yards on 15 carries, and you may have woke up on uh, the next morning and said, wow, Saquon, what, what happened? Did he, lose, did he lose his powers? Well, he was hit by like two guys in that backfield right after he got the handoff, probably on, on about half those carries at least. Uh, he made magic happen on, on, on a pass reception, a short, a short yardage catch that ended up being a, a highlight hurdle and, and adding to the list of defenders that Saquon has soared above in his, in his football career. But went rough start, and for guys who invested him on him on a fantasy basis, like myself, uh, not what I wanted to see. And 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 man, the Giants have work to do. It's been an issue for them. People have always been saying, "Please don't let Saquon Barkley be the next Barry Sanders, a guy who is uh, plays the prime of his career with a with a team that just can't get it together around him." And here in the start of year three, it was not a good opening statement from the New York Giants offense. Bad offensive line at Penn State. Bad offensive line at uh, in New York. Uh, Saquon can't catch a break. When you you know when you talk about his his ability as a receiver, that's great. But when you talk about that being the only threat that he has because those defensive linemen are in the backfield taking a handoff with him, that's not ideal. So by the way, a great another great hurdle, another great Saquon moment. Um, but man, just being. Uh, essentially wasted on that team is is tough to see and uh, he's handling it well you you mentioned the barber stuff he ex- he answered that question exactly like we thought that you know you and I have grown to know him over the years Chris exactly. Peterson would be very proud oh, I'm yeah, sure she is proud fantastic yeah. <laughs> coaching job by KP um but no it was uh it, it was exactly what you would expect from him and if there's frustration there he's not going to show it he's not Allen Robinson who is openly frustrated with the Chicago Bears because he wants a new contract uh but man it's uh it's very interesting uh, to watch Saquon sort of, I mean, you mentioned it, it's year three. Those guys don't have long. Running backs don't have long. Hopefully he can get to his second contract without getting killed. We'll find out. Saquon uh, hits the field again. They got a, a another matchup coming their way on Sunday, a chance to improve, hopefully, for, for the New York Giants offense. Um you mentioned the Allen Robinson drama. We won't go too far down that road. He's been very good for the Bears. Everything that, that they could ask for since signing him as a free agent back in March 2018. I don't feel too bad for him because the man is getting paid a lot of money this year. But in the NFL, if you're in a contract year and you have been performing, you can get angry. There's reports of maybe a trade request being uh, filed with the Bears. Uh, his agent denied that. Uh, ongoing communications there. But uh, in a Bears offense that has been in disarray really during his entire time in town, 
Uh, he's a guy who has gotten the job done. He was back in the NFL top 100 rankings uh, coming into the season. He led the Bears in receiving uh, in their opener and the company from behind win. And, and a couple years ago in the playoffs against the Eagles, he set a franchise record for receiving in, in a playoff matchup. So he's done a lot. Uh, we'll see if he sticks with the Bears. I know a lot of teams will be lining up to potentially trade for him. And, and before we move ahead, I want to cast the spotlight on the underdog story from the Nittany Lions, uh, Dancha Senna. Not all the rookies saw much time uh, in their opener. Some of them were inactive. Uh, like we mentioned, KJ Hamler. You saw Cam Brown uh, not 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 involved in the game uh, for the Giants. Uh, Blake Gillikin on IR, etc. Dancha Senna played pretty extensively. I believe it was close to 70% of their total special team snaps in a game against the Green Bay Packers. So that underdog story continues to roll in the right direction, gain some positive momentum. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it continues to be cool. It continues to be a special team story. Um, but yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be uh, interesting to see how long he can stick because with the physical gifts that he has, with the speed that he has, the size that he has, he certainly can do it. So we'll see what happens with that. Uh, you mentioned the Robinson drama. I mean, can, can you imagine... The Bears without Allen Robinson. I mean, can you imagine number one? I guess Allen Robinson with a quarterback, but uh, the Bears without Allen Robinson. Uh, you just somebody's going to have to pay that guy, um, and it's uh, it's it's gotten very interesting. And he's on my fantasy team, so I'd like that resolved for my purposes <laughs> right. uh, more than anything. It's nice how we always find a way to, to circle back to our imaginary teams. It's all about us. <laughs> yes, it is all about us. Speaking of all about you, Sean, our five-star mailbag this week starts with nice. one directed right to you, and here it goes. What is the reasoning behind Sean being a fan of the Washington football team? Did he grow up in that area or something, or does he just like pain? I mean, you nailed both of them, to be honest <laughs> with you. Uh, I'm a sucker. Um, I, I mean... So yes, I grew up in Southern Pennsylvania, but if you, if you remember those covered, those old coverage maps, um, you know, there was that spot in Southern Pennsylvania that would get like the ACC games and all that kind of stuff. Franklin County gets all of Washington DC's channels. So I grew up in Franklin County and every Sunday. A lot of Sunday, Terps football then? A lot of, a lot of Terps? Maybe not those ACC games. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I, I got, I used to get all the Washington stuff. So Fox five was our, was our home network. And every Sunday I'd see the skins. You got to remember in second grade, they won a Super Bowl. I mean, they've won, you know, two Super Bowls in my lifetime and then they won a third just before I was born. So, um, this has been a team that actually had success when we planted the seeds of fandom. And that's been just awful since. So it's almost as though they had some kind of shift in leadership at the top that may have changed the direction in the course of the, the franchise. I, look, I don't look know. Look at you. You're just turning, you just, you're just <laughs> saving up all that Rutgers energy for me right now. And, and you're right. right because Washington <laughs> essentially has been the Rutgers of the NFL. Uh, do I like pain? I'm not saying I like pain. Am I going to make my kids be Washington fans? Probably, because if I had to deal with it, they're going to have to deal with it as well. So, yes, it was a matter of convenience. It was a matter of, of watching them every Sunday growing up, um, and it never went away. Um, I'm not sure. I, I mean, I obviously have less time to watch now with the two kids and everything like that, because Sundays are, are family days and everything like that, but I still watch them. I still cheer for them. I had no strong real opinion on them keeping the name, so, I mean, I, I just it's been ingrained in me and that's been the way that it's handled. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes people root for losers and I'm one of those people. So I, I've got, I've got that going for me, I guess. You're a Yankees guy though, right? Not a, not an Orioles. I am guy. a Yankees guy. Um, so you, mom, I mean, if you like pain, you would have doubled down and gone with Baltimore Orioles. So, exactly. I mean, you, you've seen some nice moments as a Yankees fans over the years. One at my expense as a Phillies fan. By the way, those coverage maps you talk about, uh, fortunately, we invest in red zone in, in this household, so it's not an issue anymore. But growing up, I, I was relocated from the Tampa Bay area to southern New Jersey in fifth grade. I had an all-star jersey, a Warren Sapp jersey, uh, Warwick Dunn jersey. I was all in on Tampa Bay, and, and I was a super fan for them for a long time. That kind of fizzled out as I got a little bit older and, and, and kind of shifted to the, the other side of covering football, and that messes with my fandom a little bit. I wish I was still a Super Bucks fan because it'd be an interesting year with the team they've put together, not so much on Sunday. But I, I you mentioned that coverage map, and that brought up some feelings for me because I remember I would I would look to see, and it was very rare where a Bucks game would be broadcast in the Philadelphia South Jersey market. So uh, I can understand why you may have gravitated toward a team that was actually on your television. Yeah, and everything. I mean, a lot of friends were Steeler fans. Um, the, this is before the Ravens were there, so I mean, the mm. Ravens were not an issue at that point. 
Philly, we're kind of outside of that bubble. Um, so, I mean, just we're right in the middle of the state between Pittsburgh and Philly, as everyone else is all the time. Um, but really, it was more it was more Pittsburgh. And then when I got into college, my roommate was an Eagles fan. My other roommate was a Steelers fan. Uh, and that's kind of, uh, you know, that's kind of why I have some of the opinions on those teams. So, um, no, it's uh, it's been uh, it's been quite a run. Daniel Snyder has, has ruined it um, completely. <laughs> And I'm, I guess I am. Yeah, I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, but as I said, I don't get as much time to watch those games. And, and we get Eagles games up here and we get Giants games and uh, Steeler games up here. So the red zone is a great thing. It's just I'm usually watching Washington's defense on it. Well, you've got about 60 hours or so where you're guaranteed to be able to to continue saying the division leading unbeaten Washington football team. So enjoy that. We'll see what happens after it into week two. Uh, our next question, we're going to dive back into Penn State football. And, and this is a pretty timely one because of who we heard from on Thursday night. This is a long question and it's kind of followed up by some thoughts from the person proposing it. So bear with me here. The QB position is the most important one in college football. After Sean Clifford leaves, does Penn State have a quarterback on the roster to compete for a national championship? I'm not sure they do. I see Micah Bowens and Will Levis as backups at best. I had hope for Christian Veyu, but other than his first day, he did not perform well at the Elite 11 camp he attended, and he is not playing high school ball this season to further his development. Maybe Taquan Roberson is the guy, or Bo Perbula becomes the next Trace McSorley, but I am still not sure if anyone on the current roster or recent recruits is the answer. As I said, a lot thrown thrown your way there, Sean. I'll, I'll give you my thoughts, but I'll, I'll lead this one right into you. Yeah, I mean, if you break this down point by point, I think the, even the first one, you say after Sean Clifford leaves, does Penn State have a quarterback on the roster right now? Is there Sean is. Clifford the, yeah. the guy that can lead yeah. them to a national championship? We don't know that. I mean, he's obviously needs some uh, improvement over last year, and maybe Kirk Shirak is the guy to get him there. Hopefully, you know, for our sake, Kirk Shirak is the guy that can get him pointed in that direction. I think it will be very interesting considering he gets a free year here, and now he'll have, you know, he essentially has three years left if he wants to use them. I don't really know that that's going to happen, but still, it's going to be very interesting to see what happens with this quarterback room. Um, right now, Levis has shown that you know he's he's a serviceable backup and a different style at least, and can bring something different to you. Um, would like to see him a little bit more extensively. See what he can do um, aside from running the ball or getting a chance to, to to go into a game, maybe not cold. Or I know that Rutgers game is the only thing that we've seen from him so far, but I don't put as much stock into that as maybe some people have. Tremendously physically talented. Does he have that upside as a passer? It's really hard to say. Taquan Roberson, we just flat out don't know enough about right now. I mean, he's into his development. Uh, he's he's a guy that played last year like he was expecting to redshirt. He's a guy that practiced like he was expecting to redshirt. And, you know, I don't know that he's that guy. He throws a very nice ball, but he's going to have to really up his game. Um, Micah Bowens, as, as we've said, we've been critical of Micah Bowens, uh, you know, as a prospect. I know he's got a lot to like in terms of athleticism, um, you know, speed and all that kind of stuff. But, does he fit into this offense? Is he the guy that you're looking for? Christian Veyu, I, I think it's it's certainly unfair to judge him on the the Elite Eleven. I mean, this is this was uh, an event that you know just kind of got thrown together, and I expected him to do better. I'm not going to say that he didn't perform poorly, but basing your entire projection on one or on two days, it was a scramble down yeah, there on man. two days of Elite Eleven. If you're proje- projecting somebody off of that, then you've you've got problems there. Um, so I, I don't know. I, th- I think he's the best passer that they've brought in in terms of uh, strength and accuracy. Uh, there's a lot to like. You do make a good point. He's not playing this year. I think that will hinder his development. What's interesting to me with Veyu is essentially now you're bringing in a two quarterback class that includes Bowens and Veyu because they're both going to be true freshmen eligible in 2021. We'll see where it goes with the development from there. I like Bo Perbula. I'm interested to see what he can do. But as, as we've mentioned, he needs reps. He needs to prove that he's a total quarterback and can be that guy. I think he's got a lot of upside by the way he plays. Uh, is that tonight or tomorrow? Uh, the 18th. Is that today? Yes. Right. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Losing track of days. We have to figure those out again since we have games on the schedule. Yes. He plays <laughs> Friday night. Um, I believe that's going to be locally broadcast if you're in the region. Um, but yes. Cable network. Yeah, Central so. York. Central York. And they and they and we've mentioned this before. We've talked about it with Bo on the podcast. Totally different outlook for how he's going to be utilized. It was a run-heavy offensive scheme last year. They put teams away early. He didn't throw the ball much. This year, they're going to spread it out, and they're going to really lean on him. I think we're going to get to see what he's what he has developed uh, as a passer. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I guess the uh, 
the the promise there with those young guys is you know the, they were in that first tier of the guys that they offered Veyu. Uh, of course, Caleb Williams was the big guy for him, but you know they recruited him concurrently with with Caleb Williams, and you could say the same about Bo Perbulo because they took him very early. So um, that's that's certainly up there. But I don't have an answer for you. I, I don't mm-hmm. know. I mean, you, you've got to see these guys, especially Clifford. I mean, that's the one we're going to focus in on because he's got you know a couple more years left. Um, can they make those strides? Can Kurt Sharaka be this? quarterback whisperer right now i mean they've got quarterbacks that can get him to new year six or get them to new year six games but they've got to push beyond that so i i frankly don't have an answer for you it's a point of i don't know that i'd call it a point of concern going into this season but it's it's certainly a point of emphasis and something that we're going to have to watch closely because they've got they've got to be better you see the teams that are out there trevor lawrence is quarterbacking clemson justin fields is quarterbacking ohio state um, Oklahoma's always got a great quarterback. And by the way, Spencer Rattler, the real deal as as we expected. Um, so you you got to get poor guys. Sooners. Poor Sooners, just they can't catch a break at QB, can they? No, they, man, they, it's, yeah. it must be tough. I mean, at least they recruited this one. So, uh, but no, it's it's been it's been you've been sitting in that second tier, but you've had second, third tier quarterback play. Uh, Trace McSorley was fantastic. It got him or got Penn State as close as they've been and close as they you know I guess could come to, to, to making that playoff, but didn't get them over the hump. So, um, you want to see that, uh, the evolution, uh, you want to see that improvement. You want to see that team really, uh, play at its max potential and they're going to need better quarterback play to do so. There were a lot of names mentioned in this question and those follow-up statements, uh, posted on, on the podcast uh, page on Apple podcast. One name that was absent from it that I think is at the crux of this is Kirk Shiraka. James Franklin made about as aggressive a move that you can make while preparing for the Cotton Bowl in Dallas. Got Kirk Sharaka down there from Minnesota, a team that a month earlier knocked you off the pedestal in the Big Ten. And you bring him on board after what he did with Tanner Morgan in that big leap year that we all saw firsthand in Minneapolis. I mean, that was a power move by James Franklin, bringing this guy in as your new player caller, as your new quarterbacks coach. And, you know, you wondered, would that kind of go by the wayside over the course of 2020 without being able to practice as much of these guys and, and more importantly, go through the game day process with them and, and, and go series by series where you had them on the, you know, on the sideline and, and, and interacting and, and, and kind of just formulating a game plan as it goes and, and as a game evolves and how you're reacting to a defense at halftime. All those important things that you think you can lean on Kirk Shiraka for to take Sean Clifford to another level and down the line to Levis, to Roberson, to Bowens, and eventually with Veyu and, and Prabula. And I, I, I right here where, where I kind of look at who's more tailor-made for what I think Kirk Shiraka does as a guy who imagines his offensive scheme, I think Roberson probably fits that pretty well in terms of guys who are on the current roster beyond Sean Clifford. But, you know, we, we don't know with him. He, he got a chance to throw one pass against Rutgers in the fourth quarter last November. That, that's all we've seen from him since he was playing high school football in New Jersey. What stands out to me about both Bowens and Veyu is they've got an interesting high school career that they're going to be coming off of. Bowens, as, as you heard when he was on the podcast uh, a few months ago, he was taking planes to go to high school football games. That's what they do at Bishop Gorman. They ha- and he's the third consecutive Power 5 quarterback to come out of that program. There's a major spotlight on you all the time down there in, in Las Vegas. That is a perennial national powerhouse for a long time. And, and and it's just a different lifestyle. It's a different set of expectations that you encounter as a 16, 17-year-old high school level quarterback. And to some degree, you can apply that to Christian Veyu, who had to make a, you know, a proactive move leave home in Ontario. This is a kid who who grew up not even speaking the English language as a primary language, uh, ends up in Buffalo at Canisius as a junior, as, as a sophomore, then heads down to, to a place where Dwayne Haskins once flourished at the Bullis School, and they've got a pretty impressive schedule down there. He's robbed of the opportunity because of the circumstances, not being able to go down there as a senior but I think there's a lot to gain from those two high school careers, you know, comparatively to a guy like Will Levis playing up in Connecticut uh, against that competition that he saw. You know, I don't want to slight everybody up there, but uh, it's just a different launch pad leading up to their time in Happy Valley. So we don't know, but I think really at the crux of this conversation is Kirk Shiraka because you're paying him the big bucks. You made this move to bring him in from Minnesota, a team that was standing in your way last year. And what he did with Tanner Morgan, what he's done in the past with different quarterbacks who've gone on to play in the NFL, had high-level college football success at different periods of his career. 
Uh, you know, you got to count on that. You got to lean on that. Hope it means something for Clifford, but ultimately hopes it means developing and, and really raising the tide of the entire room there at quarterback for Penn State. And 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 look, you want to look at what developmental uh, methods matter at quarterback. Look at Joe Burrow, first year at LSU. He had 16 touchdowns, completed 57% of his passes. His last year at LSU with a new offensive uh, structure in place from that staff. 76% of pass completions, 60 touchdowns, only six interceptions. Now he's the number one pick, and he looked pretty darn good even in that loss to Cleveland last night. So there's so much to be said for 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 quarterbacks and the raw material that you're getting, but you and I both have seen, maybe you've seen it here at Penn State firsthand. I've seen it across college football. I know you have too. Really, really, really impressive prospects that go in the wrong situation, whether it's because the coaching situation is bad or the supporting cast is bad. And by the end of their college career, they look like the shell of who they look like going into college. And you see that the NFL top prospects land with bad teams, bad coaching staffs. They're washed out of the league or their career backups. It happens all the time. I think there's a lot to be said in putting stock in Kirk Shiraka to answer this question. Oh, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, he, he's got a track record. He's proven it. Um, I don't think it should be a given, but I think you can certainly have those expectations for him to turn around. It will be interesting. And I was asked this in my chat this week. It will be interesting to see how the extra time, um, you know, and I, I know there's no substitute for live reps, but how the extra time can help his grasp of the or can help Clifford's grasp of the playbook of the the situations that he's going to be in because last year you know it looked like he got out there sometimes it just was a little bit under uh, under the water there so we'll see uh, how that goes by the way you mentioned the Bullis school I forgot to mention earlier this week Penn State with a walk on commitment from punter Gabe Nwosu six six two twenty. Um, so Penn State we should have led off had, with that. that we really, really should have gone ahead of everything else we just discussed. Penn State has had issues recruiting defensive ends at this point, but uh, you got the punter <laughs> with the length that you covet. So yeah. uh, I'm excited to see how far he can he can kick the ball if he gets everything into it. Uh, Mark Brennan has a write up on Kirk Shiraka breaking down each of the quarterbacks on the current Penn State roster. Really good stuff. Kirk is a, a detailed guy. When you, when you bring up a name, he'll he'll go through it for a while. He did just that on on, on the radio show on Thursday night. Uh, Mark Brennan was tuned in. Uh, that is up on lines247.com right now. And we'll get into more of that. He discussed tight end usage because it wasn't something that was prevalent for him in Minnesota. That's going to change with Pat Fryermuth on board for Penn State. The wide receiver group, how's that coming together? That's a position that is certainly in the spotlight that needs to get better. Uh, we're going to dive into that more next week, and, and, and we hope to to continue focusing in on this upcoming football season. That's going to do it for this one, though. Um, really appreciate everyone's time. More than an hour of content on, on this episode. We had a lot to discuss coming off of the Franklin conversation. Uh, as usual, head over to Lions247.com for the latest in Nittany Lions recruiting news, football news, and drop your five-star rating and review Please, 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 on Apple Podcasts, throw in your five-star mailbag question. Let's get some questions about the season. It's time to, I mentioned before, no season, we need new questions. Well, there's a season back on. Give us your season-related questions, and we'll do our best to answer them as we get more access to coaches and players in the coming weeks. It's go time at Lions 24-7. It's go time here for Penn State football. Uh, Stay with us. Sean, I hope you enjoy your weekend. I hope you do, too. Uh, It's been a little bit longer than we expected, but hey, we've got football to talk about, so we're going to keep talking. All right. Well, stay with us on the Lions 24-7 podcast. Enjoy your weekend. We'll catch up with a couple episodes next week.